Before I get into Acts today, I want to read to you a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But first, let me ask you this question. If you're going to give your bio to someone and you're trying to present yourself in an honorable fashion, you're going to list all the good about yourself that you can think of, aren't you? Sure, sure you would do that. For me, I, I, would, I would talk about uh, in that bio my, my education. I graduated from Ozark Christian College with, with a ba- Bachelor of Sacred Literature degree. I've been married to Cindy for 33 years. We have three children, Jonathan, Abby, and Rebecca. I served at the Tyro Christian Church for seven years as an associate. I've been here for 29 years as a senior minister, and I've served on this board and that board, and you get the idea. That's what you would do for you. If you're presenting your bio, say you're interviewing uh, for a job, and you're trying to present yourself to that employer, you are going to choose from the highlights of your life rather than those low points in your life. All of us, that would be true of. Well, in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, Paul gives to us his bio. But as I read through his bio, it sounds a whole lot different than any bio I've ever looked at before or heard. Let me read it to you, verse 23 through 28, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. (laughs) Wow. That's quite a bio, isn't it? I, I dare say that I have never read such a bio, and I would dare say that Paul was, was one who oftentimes things just didn't go well for him. He's acquainted with hardship and suffering, and it wasn't because he deserved all of this. It's not like Paul has done wrong and he's being punished for all the wrong that he has done. Rather, he's suffering for doing that which was right. And my question to you today is simply this, what do you do when things don't go your way? Before we answer that question, I want to take you to the book of Acts, and I'll fill you in on what's happening at this stage in Paul's life. We're in chapter 23 and 24 of Acts today. We left off in chapter 22 last week where Paul had been rescued by some Roman soldiers from a Jewish mob that was having the intentions of killing him. 
They thought that he had taken a Gentile into the temple, which he had not. But instead of investigating and finding that to be true, they were just going on an assumption and they were intending to kill him. They were in the process of beating him to death when some Roman soldiers came and they rescued Paul from that terrible situation. Before they could take Paul completely away from the mob, Paul asked them, the soldiers, if he can say something to the crowd. And the Roman soldiers obliged, and miraculously, Paul is asking for silence from the crowd, and they cooperate with him. He then proceeds to give to them his testimony. And everything was going good until he told them that God had appointed him as a voice to the Gentiles. And with that, just violence erupts again. And so the Roman soldiers carry Paul away, and they are going to get to the bottom of the truth here. They are going to find out exactly who Paul is, and they are going to do that by scourging him. And about the time the Roman soldier raises the whip to strike Paul, Paul says to him, are you going to beat a Roman citizen without first having a trial? Well, that shook everybody up. They didn't know that Paul was a Roman citizen. And so the next day, they arranged for Paul to appear in court, and on the other side of the courtroom are his accusers. The Sanhedrin council, the very council that had put Jesus to death. And there are so many little details in these chapters, I really don't have time to cover them all, but it turns out this particular court hearing becomes an absolute fiasco, and the Jewish council gets totally out of control, and so the Roman soldiers have to pull Paul away from them again. They have to intervene in this very volatile situation. And so in the meantime, Paul is left in jail until the Roman soldiers, until the Roman government can figure out what to do with him. And remember, he has done nothing wrong. All of this is based on a false assumption that he had taken a Gentile into the temple. So as this continues to proceed, this little journey that Paul is upon, there is a plan that is put together by the Jewish council, and the plan is to kill Paul. They go to the Roman government and they're asking, you know, we've made, you know, ourselves not, not, we are not in good standing with you. We've not conducted ourselves well. And we feel like we want to have one more trial with Paul. And, and they're promising that they are going to conduct themselves in a worthy manner. And so they arrange for one more trial. But in the meantime, they have, they have a gang of 40 people who are going to jump Paul. When he's brought from the jail to the courtroom, these 40 guys are going to ambush Paul and those who are going with him, and they are determined that they are going to kill 
Paul. And this plan becomes known to the Roman government. And so the, the commander, he gets 470 soldiers together to escort Paul to Caesarea to Felix, who is governor of the region. And that that's chapter 23. Chapter 24 is really a rerun of the same. Paul faces his accusers before Felix, and they get nowhere. The accusers, all they can do is come up with false accusations against Paul. And Paul, on the other hand, stands as he always does. He stands on the resurrection of Jesus. And when it's all said and done, Felix, the governor, he doesn't know what to do with Paul. And so what's he do with him? He leaves him in jail for two years. Two years. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 24, verses 26 and 27. At the same time, too, this is Felix that's being spoken of. He, Felix, was hoping that money would be given to him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with him. But after two years had passed... Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. For two years, Paul sets in prison for nothing that he has done wrong. And so let me ask you the question again. What do you do when things don't go your way? We all experience that quite often in our life, not necessarily in the way that Paul experienced it, but still we have a lot of things come our way that were not in our plan. Hardships come. They are unexpected and uninvited, and yet they come anyway. They don't come knocking on our door and give us the chance to say no to them. Instead, they just kick the door down, and they barge in, and they take up residence in our lives, and we have to deal with them. Cancer comes or some other physical ailment. And we didn't have any say in the matter at all. They just imposed their way upon us. Or a family issue comes up. Or a job is lost. Or or someone dear to us dies. The hardships have a variety of faces and names to them. But they are uninvited guests. And we have to deal with them. What do you do when things don't go your way? Well, let me for a moment mention to you what not to do. Don't complain excessively. In fact, the Bible tells us not to complain at all. Philippians 2.14 says, Do everything without complaining or arguing. Something else, and I have this list on the screen for you. Don't throw a pity party. And, And that's easy to do when we're in the middle of hardship. And yet, that's not the right response. Number three, don't let anger and bitterness take control of you. 
That would be easy to do too. When things don't go our way, to have that kind of a negative response, and yet we know from what Scripture tells us that that will come back and bite us. It's not the right response. It will only make matters worse. The fourth response here that's negative, don't let discouragement overwhelm you and lead you to quit. And that too would be very easy, almost natural for us to do, but it is not the right response. None of these responses are the right response when hardship comes our way. Let me give to you the right response when things don't go your way. First of all, surrender all to God and to His Holy Spirit. If you respond in the flesh, then these bad responses that we just looked at will be yours. But if you cry out to God in surrender and you submit all to the Holy Spirit, then you can resist the devil and you can respond positively to those trials. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So the devil can be resisted. And that's done as we are drawing near to God. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The temptations to respond negatively to trials can be resisted, but not in our own strength. We cannot muster up enough strength from within ourselves to fight the devil and win. We need Jesus. Amen? We need the Holy Spirit to be in us and to be filling us and to be helping Him. We need to surrender all to Him. And as we do surrender all to Him, there's a trust that we put in Him. We just sang a song about trust and obey. And we may not understand all that's going on in our life, but we trust Him to do the right thing, and we trust Him that He's not going to abandon us. Think about it. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yesterday, He was with Daniel in the lion's den. He did not abandon Daniel. He was with the three men in the fiery furnace. We talked about them just a little bit last week. He did not abandon them. He was faithful to them. He was with Moses in the the wilderness wanderings. He was with David as he fled in the wilderness from Saul. And he will be with us today. He will not Abandon us. He is with us right in the middle of the trials that we are in. And trials are a part of life, aren't they? You know the old saying, if you're not in a trial right now, then you're getting ready to go into one or you're coming out of one. That's just the way life is. If the waters are smooth right now, then enjoy the smooth sailing, but know that there's going to come a time when the storm clouds will gather again. That's just the way life is. 
But know this, when you are in the darkest of nights, that's when your light for Jesus can shine the brightest. That is, if you are trusting him in that darkness. Probably all of us have talked with those people who, who amidst their trials, they're giving praise to God and their light is shining so brightly and we walk away from those people and we are inspired by them. We are encouraged by them and we're just shaking our head and say, wow, praise God for their faith in Jesus. That could be us too. That can be you. That can be me. Amidst our trials, it's in those valleys that we walk through that our light can shine for Jesus the brightest. But in order for that to happen, we have to be putting our trust in Him. There's something else that I should mention to you. As we trust God and surrender to God amidst the trials, as we let the Holy Spirit lead us, it's in those times that we can experience our greatest spiritual growth. We grow through the testing. I play racquetball uh, about every Wednesday at 4 o'clock with Max Self down at Buck Run. And as I'm there getting ready to go into the racquetball court or, or afterwards, there's, there's always guys there in the workout room and they're lifting weights. And I'm hearing them as they're lifting weights. And sometimes I'm hearing them groaning and, and it sounds almost like they're hurting. They're... It sounds painful. (laughs) But I look at their muscles, and they are quite defined in their build. And I'm, I'm putting two and two together, and I'm realizing that 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 kind of build doesn't happen without some pain along the way, without some some struggle. A couple of Thursdays ago, I was I was at uh, a chamber coffee and uh, down here on Main Street, and and uh, Grant and Heather were opening their business, uh, a, a, a ribbon cutting, and then on the other side of the wall is a CrossFit exercising group, and I noticed the guy, the leader of the CrossFit group. I mean, he was he was built just a little different than me, just a little. Right, Chad? (laughs) Just a little. But I'm getting the ideas. I'm looking at that build. I'm thinking, wow. I I don't think that happens without some pain. Without some real struggle. Fighting through the struggle. That's true in in the physical realm. It's true in the spiritual realm, too. Our greatest... Spiritual growth happens through pain, through struggles. And as we go through those struggles in our life, if we will look up to Him, and if we will trust Him through those struggles, those are the times that we will experience our greatest spiritual growth. 
And so let me encourage you. When trials come your way, when things don't go according to your plan, make sure that you're surrendering all to Him, that you are looking to Him, that you are trusting in Him and crying out to Him. And you will experience your greatest spiritual growth. Let me give to you a second response. When things don't go your way, persevere. Don't give up. Don't quit. That's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to quit. He wants, he's working towards that end. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He is called the destroyer. And he will hammer you and he will hammer me with an intention, with a goal to bring us to a point of quitting. But we cannot let that happen. We must look up to Jesus and know that His hand is outstretched to us. And there is no trial so big that He isn't bigger still. And this is where we must turn to the promises of God that are in His Word. And we let those promises encourage us and give us hope. And we have those promises help us to hold on to the one who has given those promises. Such as 1 John 4, 4, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We, we need to memorize that. We need to have that in our heart and hold on to it. And when we are hit hard by the evil one, either through temptation or trials, we remember that he is greater Romans 8, 31 and 32. What shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his only son, will he not also with him freely give us all things? We, we read that promise and we are reminded that he is on our side. He is in our corner. And if he is in our corner, then that, that which is coming against us cannot win if we're holding on to him. And then verse 28 of that same chapter, for we know that all things, would you read this with me? For we know that all things, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Wow, what a promise. And as we are going through those struggles in our life, we can hold on to the truth of that promise to know that God can cause everything to work together for good of those who love Him. James 1, 2 2 through 4, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in Nothing. And there are so many more promises. There are lots and lots and lots of promises. And we need to know where those promises are at in Scripture. We need to memorize them. We need to hide them in our heart and be encouraged by them. Nothing, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. No power is greater than His. Cancer does not have the final word. In fact, He is the final word. He will have the last word. 
That's what Revelation says. And we can read in Revelation, Satan's end is that of being thrown into the lake of fire. And there will come a day where there will be no more heartaches, no more trials, no more tears. And we can be a part of that as we have put our trust in Jesus. And we have persevered in His love and in His grace. And so we completely surrender to Him when trials come. And we, we choose through His grace and through His help to persevere. And let me give to you one third positive response here. Look for the good for which you can give thanks and praise to Him. I was talking with someone just recently who had gone to a professional counselor for something that they had been dealing with. And there came a time in that session where the counselor said to the client, you have been wallowing in the bad stuff for too long. It's time that you start focusing on the positive, And when you do, you will feel a whole lot better. And I thought, wow, that that's really good advice. Let me read to you from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. Because that's exactly what Paul's doing here in this particular passage of Scripture. He says, now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or or by death. Do you do you get what Paul's saying there in this particular passage? He is in prison. Unjustly. And he could have been focusing on his injustice. He could have just been complaining. He could have been overwhelmed with discouragement. He could have become bitter. But instead of those negative responses, instead of focusing on the negative side, he's put his mind on Jesus, he surrendered to Jesus, 
And he is focusing on the positive, and he's saying there's really some good in all of this. There are people out there who are picking up the ball and they are preaching the gospel. They're not counting on me to do that anymore. They're doing it because they know I'm in prison. So they're running with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, oh, by the way, there are more and more soldiers right here in the prison house who are coming to Christ. And so instead of focusing on the negative, on the injustice, Paul has chosen to look for the good and to be thankful and to give God praise. Wouldn't that be a good response for you and me amidst trials that we're in? You know, your marriage partner may be frustrating you in a lot of ways. But I'm wondering, for that, for that couple who's in the middle of conflict and, and struggle, I'm wondering if there's one or two things that, that maybe you could look for in that wife or in that husband for which they could be praiseworthy. And if you focus on those things, and you're encouraged over those things, it could completely change the relationship that you have. And maybe you could get some better vibes going between you and then work on some of the other things. But oftentimes what happens in that situation, we become so so focused on the bad that we don't see any of the good. And I'm thinking the same thing could be true with moms and dads and their kids. I wonder, do you find yourself in conflict with your kids much of the time? Uh, Is there some positive things that you could focus on that would help with the tension between you? And once you relieve the tension, then actually you start enjoying one another a little bit. And then you can have a chance to work on some of the problems. The same thing could be true at work. It could be true with your neighbor. It could be true right here at church. If you're constantly looking at somebody or something through dark glasses, then darkness is all you're going to see. Take the glasses off and see if you can't find something positive to accentuate and, and help the relationship get better. We have so much that we could be thankful for if we'll take the dark glasses off and we realize He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's worthy of our praise and thanks. Three things we've looked at today. Three positive responses for when things don't go your way. Surrender to God and His Holy Spirit. Just through His grace, choose to persevere. And number three, look for the good for which you can give thanks and praise. I want to ask you, will you, will you choose 
to have a better response when hardships come. Let's pray about that. God, would you help us as hardships come our way that we would choose to trust you and cry out to you and surrender. You'll help us to persevere. And Lord, that you will help us to see some positive in any and every situation. Thank you for Paul. Though he was in prison for more than two years undeservingly, that he showed us how to respond to hardship. We give this to you. We need you, Lord. It's in your name we pray.